lifestyle choices and environmental factors impact your brain health and the physiology and psychology of your mental health. When you're ready to turn your brain on to get your game on, listen to In Your Head Radio. Now here's your host, Lee Richardson. Thanks for being with us today. Today we've got the fitness gourmet. We've got Patricia Greenberg, and she's really ushering in a new era of bite-sized livable health, nutrition, and fitness solutions. Patricia is an aging well coach. She's an expert in all aspects of living life to the fullest at any age. As the creator of Eat Well, Live Well, Age Well, she consults, teaches, and hosts a weekly show and speaks at seminars nationwide. She has a special interest in enhancing the education of the general public and providing accurate health information to today's consumer. She's passionate passionate about wellness for life. She's completed 20 marathons and 115 half marathons. Holy smoke. She loves the sport of tower climbing. She's conquered buildings all over the country. She's married with a grown daughter. In her downtime, she's an avid reader and knitter. Patricia, thank you so much for being with us today. Oh, thank you, Lee. My pleasure. So happy to be here. Well, you know, and, and things I love in the intro, we said the two words, bite-sized, because I think what we've all learned the hard way is that many times less is more. And, you know, thinking about that, and that has that can be applicable to exercise as well, right? Oh, absolutely. It's everything. Like I say, you know, uh, my background, I'll tell you a little quick, kind of, a, um, I was not an athletic child and nor was I really very health conscious um, in my early adulthood. And that came to me a little bit later. So often people will say to me, well, you don't know what it's like to get started. You've been at this for a long time, but I do know what it's like to get started. It's, it's monumentous for some people to get up off the couch and go for a walk. So I say just start every little step counts. Um, I sort of have these mantras with eating is maybe just pick one thing a day that you want to um, add to your life, like have an apple every day or an orange every day or make sure your side is a salad rather than French fries. You know, those tiny little things we're learning now as we study the human body, they make a huge difference. A 10 minute walk. You don't have to go and run a marathon, which is 26 miles. You could take the dog out and go around the block or you could walk around your house. I always say, pick up some soup cans and treat them like weights or take a dish towel and put it over your head and stretch do a full body stretch. These little tiny bite-sized solutions make all the difference in the world. Boy, they do. And, and you know, I apply that same philosophy when working with the brain because the brain loves to move. So getting out and taking a 10-minute walk will help improve your brain health. And the brain loves diversity. The, lo- the brain loves new things. So anything that you can do to provide new insight for yourself or a new life experience, that's what brain health is all about it. Absolutely. And I'm sure, Lee, if you work in brain health, you you know all about proprioception. And that is, for the listening audience, our perception of our space in the world, from our depth perception to how far down the floor is from us, and our peripheral vision and how it affects our balance and our, uh, you know, just the way we move on the planet. And that, unfortunately, diminishes with age. And I always say those are the little things like getting out and getting up, keeping your body upright, you know, is the, the, and your brain has to work to help you with that. So, yes, I call it the three B's of fitness, your bones, your brain, and your, you know, your just your, your whole uh, aspect of being supple and well, keeping your bones strong, keeping your, your body upright, keeping your brain going is critical as we age. Well, you know, and the brain changes as we age. The brain's not fully developed until you're in your mid to late 20s, you know, and then in the 30s, you're starting to really rock. And then in the 40s comes along, then you kind of start to maybe plateau a little bit. And maybe in the 50s, you start to have a little bit of cognitive decline. And then Mm -hmm. maybe in the 60s, you start to have some cognitive impairment. And, And maybe you don't. But it all right. depends upon how you prepare yourself for longevity. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's interesting, too. There's a lot of um, discussion about 
what part of our, our age span is God given and what part is, you know, what can we manipulate? And I think we still don't have the answer to that. I think that it, 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 it's a, in a lot of ways we can look around and look at our family members. And in some cases, we, you know, far exceed uh, what, what our expectations were for a long life. And in other cases, people's lives are unfortunately cut short. So I always say, instead of focusing on how long am I going to live, how much time do I have, let's focus on today. What can you do to make each day lovely and have a quality day? Oh, absolutely. And that's all about staying present in the moment. You know, and Harvard Health did a great review and they said 80% of us are either lost in the past or worried about the future. When we can stay present in the moment, it truly is a gift. And I know that that when I can stay present in the moment, I'm so much more engaged. I'm so much more interested in everything going on around me. Right. Absolutely. And there's, you know, there's sort of like the, what's the the three top tips for aging well, or the five top tips, or sometimes we hear the 10 top tips. There's taking care of yourself, and then there's taking care of others. And the way that you engage in the world will play a very, very profound role in how you age. And that is surrounding yourself with people and things that you love and what you love to do. And, you know, I always use this example, Leon, you know, we hear this all the time is that when you're young and aggressive and you're, you know, you're clamoring your way to the top and, you know, nothing will get in your way. And young people tend to be more insensitive. And like, I I almost kind of equate it with like a pushy, shovey kind of attitude. I'm going to get ahead and I'm going to go first. It really turns on you at a certain age. When you get older, that behavior, A, it's not becoming. B, you do not endear yourself to other people when you're doing that. And C, it's exhausting. So when you're young and your energy levels can handle it, um, that you can keep that pace up and the staying up all night and you know, being the best you can, you can be at all times to get to the top really you know, serves you well up until a certain point. And then when you're established, there's really no reason to do that anymore. But a lot of people have a hard time turning that off. And they want to keep the competitive edge going um, until late in life. But it's really unhealthy for you, both physically and emotionally. Oh, absolutely. And, and you know, a lot of people think that peak performance is their ability, to, and they take such great pride in their ability to multitask. Well, we right. all know multitasking is not good for your brain, and I don't right. think it's good for anything else. No. And, it, you know, what's funny is that, you know, we talk about multitasking, and I think we're all multitasking just because we live in a digital world, is that we're doing one thing and looking at another thing and distracted and that actually, yeah, there's a breakdown. You never really do any one thing uh, well. You do a little bit of everything okay. And um, I wish there was a way that we could encourage people to get back to just doing one thing at a time, right? And, um, you know, someone, I, I, you see it all the time. Someone's watching TV and they're on the phone and they're, you know, doing, you know, doing something else at the same time. I, I encourage people to try to just separate that out a little bit and take that downtime and that alone time. And everybody's terrified of being bored or being left out. There's nothing more therapeutic than taking that those few moments of solitude and just kind of rethinking and regrouping. And that's, you know, an aspect of aging that, you know, it's a delicate balance because you, we all know that loneliness is very harmful. But you can be lonely and still be in a, a group of people. You know, that's the irony about it, where solitude is when you're actually taking time for yourself and stepping away and saying, okay, what is it I want for myself for this day, for this week, for my life? Well, and, and just know, finding that peace. Ladies. Go ahead, Liz, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, just being able to find that peace, because sometimes I feel like we chase our tails, you know? Mm-hmm. We mm-hmm. just go round and round and round because we're looking for something. And I'll ask clients, what are you looking for? Well, yeah, I don't know, you know? Well, if you don't know what you're looking for, you're never going to find it. Right. Right. Exactly. I want to also give a few uh, quick tips on, you know, the, the different like the, the substantive substantive aspects of aging where we're talking about eat well all the time. What is it you know, we need to eat? Well, we you know, I, it's a blanket statement to say we, we need to eat more plant based. And I always say try to get a little more uh, plant based foods into your diet if you can. 
Uh, I'm of the train of thought there's never enough fruits and vegetables for you to be eating, right? You could 90% of your diet can be fruits and vegetables, and there's nowhere to go but be well. I mean, it just fruits and vegetables enhance every aspect of our well-being. But what I also want to point out is I want you to enjoy your food. So someone had asked me earlier today, as a matter of fact, about this, that, you know, what if we really want that burger and fries and then we have to force ourselves to eat the salad? And I always say it's not an either-or. So it's twofold. One, I highly encourage people when you're having dinner or you're eating to be around other people. Um, That is a very, uh, and, you know, you may not be able to do it every meal, especially if you're living alone or on the go. But when you're sharing meals with other people, the benefits of that are just astounding. You're getting to know people, you're connecting, and your body calms down. You know, you're conversing and you're enjoying. So you eat slower and you eat more more methodically. I'm sure you've heard the suggestion of chewing your food a lot more than we do. One one suggestion is in order to lose weight (laughs) is to chew your food 40 times before you swallow it. Well, that's a tough one. I think I made it up to about 25 But that's okay. So we want to chew our food slowly. We want to sit down. We want to sip our water. We don't want to gulp it. We want to sip our, if we're having a wine or a beer. And I also recommend if you want burgers and fries and you're with somebody who wants salad and maybe another person wants a hot entree, why doesn't everybody order something and everybody plate share? So I can have a little bit of salad. I can have a little bit of French fries. I can have a bite of the burger. And everyone else does the same. So your cravings. And your interests are satisfied without feeling bad that everybody had that, you know, you got that bite of that hamburger and French fries and some salad and some, you know, some vegetables or or starch on the side, and then you won't feel deprived. So it's not, there's no either or here with food. And it's the same with fitness. Going out for a walk with a friend is a lot more fun than by yourself. Oh, absolutely. If you're older and you always wanted to be a major league baseball player and didn't get recruited, you can join a senior softball league, right? Or go toss a ball with someone. There's so many ways to make one feel engaged and happy. And again, gets back to Lee, what you were saying, engaging the brain. You know, it keeps your brain active and it keeps you thinking and it keeps you on your toes, both, both literally and figuratively. And chances are you won't get hurt because you're doing a more modest version of the sport that you love, and uh, everybody wins all around. Absolutely, and sometimes just the simplest changes. Like, you know, have you ever looked at the size of plates that a restaurant brings you? Oh, they're, yes. They're huge. huge. Oh, my gosh. Huge. You know, if you – I saw an article on that a couple of years ago, and I immediately went and bought some smaller plates because I thought they're mm-hmm. so white. They're huge, and we think that we have to fill them up, um, and we don't. We don't, and then that's why I, I, I really encourage people – my husband and I do this a lot. When we go out to dinner, we share meals, so – We'll ask them, we'll order a dinner salad, let's say, or an appetizer, and then we order a, an entree, and we ask if we can split it. And the restaurants are usually very accommodating. They'll bring us a second plate. So my husband and I will have half of what, you know, half each of what was ordered. And I always find that's a very sufficient amount of dinner. Also with special occasions, you know, like I, I love that the restaurants do this on one hand, that if it's a birthday party and you order cake, it's like the size of a, of a, of a crew, you know, a steam a steamboat or a cruise ship, right? This giant piece of cake. And I always say, okay, so let's have one piece of cake and four forks. And then everybody can have a bite and eat as much as you can. So there are ways around that. Um, The restaurant is doing it to give you value for the dollar. And a lot of people feel, and rightfully so, I'm paying for this meal. I don't want to leave half of it on the plate. Um, So just be more mindful when you're actually ordering of how much you're getting. Absolutely. You know, but and it's everybody, I think food is is where they're so reluctant to make those lifestyle changes mm-hmm. around what they mm-hmm. eat. I mean, I've had clients tell me, I have to have fried chicken every Sunday. My family has to have it. And my response to that is no, your family does not have to have fried chicken every Sunday. Right. You know, maybe once a month. 
but not every Sunday. And I think just trying to really, you know, think about what can, where can I be flexible with my lifestyle choices? And a lot of that is how much time I spend on social media. And instead of sitting there and looking at her Facebook for two hours, maybe you get up and you go for a walk for 20 minutes or you play with the puppies for 10 minutes. There's tons of stuff to do. You know, it's funny, too, because I, 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 I hear what you're saying. We, we're very, um, etch, you know, we, we etch in stone what we do for our family Sunday dinners or rituals that we have for our family. And uh, you know what? I think you could still do that and just modify it. So if people saying um, my family's tradition is that I have to have fr- fried chicken every Sunday, okay, you can have one piece of fried chicken and then add something healthy along with it. Right. There's there's ways of getting around that, that you could still enjoy it. And that's where I really come full circle. Lee. I don't like to tell people they can't have anything. I don't even like to term good or bad with food or any lifestyle choices. It's a choice, just like decisions. You make a decision and maybe 30 years later, you say that was a very good decision or that was a very bad decision. But at the time, it was just a decision. So let's not put so much weight on that, you know, where we're saying, that my food is good or I'm bad or I'm good. And we, when we internalize it as a character flaw, if we're eating food that's, you know, fatty or, or heavy or very calorically dense, let's just say, okay, on Sundays we have chicken, so I'm going to have one piece and then make some changes in what I accompany with it. So that way you're still keeping up with, uh, then you don't feel sad, right? And you don't feel deprived and left out of the occasion. Well, it's all in your head. That's, I mean, everything is all in your head. I can't do it. I need it. I want it. Right. And right. If you can reframe those thoughts and and put in your head, gee, look at what I'm doing for myself. Look at how much right. healthy I'm making myself. Look how much longer I'm going to be around for that grandbaby. Whatever, exactly. whatever's important to you, reframe that within the lines of positive thinking. That makes a huge amount of difference. It does. It does. And, you know, I, I, I find that the brain, the whole body and the brain is all so resilient, right, to, to what we do. And we can, we can unfortunately abuse our bodies for many, many years. But we're learning more and more that when you make happy and healthy lifestyle choices, you can reverse some of the damage that's been done. Yes, she can. And, you know, resilience is something that during the pandemic, I really saw people kind of lose their resilience because it's hard. I mean, we all have bad days and we can all step back from those. But when you're in a global pandemic and maybe you don't have a bad day, maybe you have a bad week or even worse, maybe you have a bad month and then it gets more complicated. But we, I always tell all of my clients, focus on what you can control, not what you can't. Right. That's an excellent, excellent advice. And I say that all the time, too, is that, you know, what, look, look at your life and look around you and say, okay, you know, what is it that I want to have? You know, I always say, if you want to make a good, healthy choice for the rest of your life, don't say I better eat my blueberries or, um, you know, I'm not going to live long. Where do you want to be at the end of your life? Do you want to be well, right? Do you want to live in the house that you're living in? Do you want to be near the ocean? Do you want to be living on a lake? Do you want to be living in a golden girl situation with other friends of yours? Do you want to be with your family? Do you want to be near your children? And then you have a goal for your old age. And then you can say, okay, these are the things I need to do to achieve those goals when I get older. And at the very, very end of your life, You know, it's an old cliche, but it's like, what are you going to look back and say that I wish I was uh, working more? No, you want to say, I wish I spent more time doing the things that I want to do around the people that I want to be with. So even, again, writing it down is very good. Any kind of journaling, as we know, is very therapeutic. And just say, these are the five things I want for my old age. And work towards that. Maybe hang it up on a vision board. Put it on your refrigerator. uh, Put it into your phone if you're very tech savvy and you only work on your phone. Put it somewhere that you're going to have access to it. I like well, to um, put it up on my desk, and I like to put down short-term goals, long-term goals. They really are effective in getting you back on track as to where you need to be. And then, you know, I like to give, I like to give a pat on the back to the people who also 
say, you know, I'm going to wing it, you know, that is a choice. But remember that if you don't have a plan each day and you don't, I, I know it sounds kind of um, uh, uh, contradictory to say that, you know, make a plan and then stay in today. But if you make that plan, it is easier to stay in the day because you know down the road you have that settled already. Well, you've got to have your goals. And, and you know, some people really work better off of weekly goals than they do monthly goals. Yes, they do. Yes. Mm-hmm. And some people even like daily goals. Uh-huh. You know, uh-huh. what works for you, find out what works for you and and get dedicated and committed to it. Because when, oh, when I think about that, I just get overwhelmed. Well, you know, I'm not going to get committed to it. You, you know, I'm not. That's not going to be in my um, really my my plans. I'd like to say it is, but that ain't going to put it there. Well, you know what's very interesting about dedication and, and motivation is that we often are motivated. You know, we get up in the morning and go, you know what, this is my week. This is the week I'm going to eat better. This is the week I'm going to exercise more. I'm going to revamp my work and do the things that I want to do professionally. And then the day goes out from under you, right? You have the, the sink is leaking uh, <laughs> or you get to work and the printer doesn't work uh, or something happened to somebody that you have to attend to. And then all of a sudden it gets to be that uh, witching hour, you know, late in the afternoon where you're tired and you didn't get to all the things that you wanted to get to. And then you get to start discouraged. So I always say you have to treat your wellness just like any other appointment. So you have an appointment. You have to be at work at nine o'clock. Then your appointment, your wellness appointment is at eight o'clock. And whatever that might be, whether it's the 10 minute walk, it's a little healthier food. It's meditation, uh, writing down what it is that you want for your life, and you make an appointment with yourself. So it's in your date book to say, at 11 o'clock, I'm going to go for a walk. At 3 o'clock, I'm going to eat an apple and to get me through the afternoon. You can still have it with your coffee, and maybe if you have that Danish in the afternoon to wake you up, but you're going to add it into your life. So I look at it more like you're adding wellness into your life than you're taking away from what's there already. I think that's a great way to look at it because, as you know, this is a true fact. Every day we have three times more positive thoughts than we do negative. But what mm-hmm. do we remember? What does the brain hold on to? The brain holds on to the negative. And it goes right. back. This is the same brain that we had back in the, you know, the caveman days. Back then, we'd, wa- we'd walk out the cave and it was eat or be eaten. But that brain right. was trained. And even today, two-thirds of the cells in our right hemisphere, they're scanning for danger. So, it's right. of course, we remember the one person that cut us off at the light are the one per- person that was rude to us. We don't remember the nice email we got that thanked us for what we did. We don't remember the nice smile that we got walking down the street. You know, we've got to really focus on looking and because you always find what you're looking for. So look for that positive. You know, and I think, and you probably work with this all the time, is that there is a perception uh, which is partially true that, you know, we lose our, um, you know, our memory diminishes, we lose our ability to do things as we age. And that's true, but it, it's not a death sentence, right? It's not something we should look at and say, well, I, you know, I'm not, I'm no longer going to be able to do that because I'm old. So, okay, let's look at now, you know, like I'm 61 and I'm very proud that I'm, I, I, I'm 61 and I'm happy that I'm 61 and I hope to be 91 and 101 someday. Stay with us. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. We'll be back after these messages. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. Did you know that the average teenager drinks twice as much soda as milk? Since 1983, sugar consumption in the U.S. is up 28%. Why is that? There are several reasons, but one of the most common is soft drinks. 20-ounce beverages have become the norm, and it's not surprising to find that 43% of our sugar comes from drinks. Sugar is blamed for poor nutritional diets. 
USDA data shows that people whose diets are high in added sugar eat less calcium, fiber, iron, protein, and many other important nutrients. Fat-free foods are also a culprit. Since sugar is fat-free, many people tend to think it's okay to eat as much as they want. Remember that just because a food is fat-free does not mean that it's calorie-free also. For the Fitness Minute, I'm Annette Hammond. cats in U.S. households than any other pet. Most allurophiles or cat owners know that unlike dogs, taking Kitty for a ride in the car isn't any fun. I mean, you never see a cat hanging its head out the window, enjoying the breeze. Today's domestic cat is descended from a small Mideastern wildcat. A group of kittens is called a kindle, and a group of adult cats is a clouder. What's the word for those dust balls composed entirely of cat hair? Cluffernugans. Personally, I like pigs better than either cats or dogs. Dogs are subservient and look up to man. Cats are aloof and look down on man. A pig, however, will look you in the eye and see as equal. It's I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words-you-never-heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. Here's your host, Lee Richardson. So we're back. And before break, you know, we were talking about we get in our head all these things that that we can't do. But what about if we thought about all the things that we could do? What are we capable of doing? What do you think about that, Patricia? You know, it's such an important topic, Lee, because I think what happens is we reach a certain age and we have this perception, which um, is unfortunately a really old school way of looking at it, that when you reach a certain age, you have to stop doing things. Maybe you have to make modifications, but we are capable of so much more, um, like you always talk about, than we give ourselves credit for. So I always say that, you know, if you want to take on something monumentous, whether it's a physical um, feat or you want to start a new business or you're looking around saying, I'm such a good cook. I can write a cookbook. I always say there's room for everybody in every industry and every interest. So go out there and find out what it is. You have nothing to lose by asking and exploring and, and researching. One thing I do recommend, if, um, you know, for the physical, I always say, let's try to get the hard stuff out of the way. What's your bucket list? Do you want to go to a safari in Africa? you want to climb Mount Everest, you know, these are big things, (laughs) Uh, and you want to run a marathon, is go research it and see what it's going to take and go do it. And if it doesn't work for you or you feel like it's too much, okay. And if it works, you check that one off. And then as you get older and older, you can say, you know what? You rely on that. You go back, which I often do when I do things I was afraid of or uh, feats that I thought never in a million years I could accomplish, and then I did. Like, I've written four books. I cannot believe that. I mean, as a kid and a teenager and a young adult, I never in a million years thought I'd write books. And now I have four under my belt with another on the way. And each one of those accomplishments, I say to myself, okay, dig deep. You did that. Now you can do this. And, you know, even from learning a new language, taking on a new hobby. Um, I'm an avid knitter. I started when I was a kid and I stopped and then I picked it up again at certain lulls in my life. And then during the pandemic, I picked it up again because it was wonderful to do that. And now I've knitted a hundred scarves and hats, and I send them to people in need who may not be feeling well, or I'll make a throw for somebody who's going through a cancer treatment or someone who has lost a family member or even lost a dog. And I get it off to them to cheer them up. And that makes me, that is, that's the reward, right, is that I can do it and get it off to somebody and it makes them feel better. Oh, nothing makes you feel better. Yeah. And then in terms of like, you know, you want to learn a new language. We're told it's very hard when you get older. So what? Give it a whirl. You know, sign up for a class. Sign up up for something online or in person. And you want to learn something new. And get out there and do it because you can. There's no reason that you shouldn't. 
Absolutely. And now with technology, there's so many different ways that we learn and we have access to information in so many different ways. And I honestly believe, Prisha, 65 is the new 45. And I tell that to clients on a regular basis. Don't, you know, don't put yourself as an old person. How do you it's not your it's not the numbers. It's how do you feel? You know, what's your attitude towards life? Are you grateful every day to be here? I am. Are you are you grateful every day for whatever goodness comes your way? I am. You know, I often tell people, too, that, um, you know, what what I say a lot with people when, when people are asking me about, you know, what do you do with things you can and you can't do as you get older? And I always say, you know. Instead of saying can't or evaluate it, is it something that somebody always told you you couldn't do and you're absorbing that? Or is it genuinely you that feels you can't do it? But that, you know, there's a societal pressure on what we can, what we think we can and cannot do. And, and, and I, I think people should start to examine that a little bit more. Oh, I definitely think they should. And I think that, you know, we get it. We just get it in our head. Somebody told us that we couldn't do that 20 years ago and we haven't tried since. And we're not going to try because we've got it in our head that we can't do it. And I don't know about you, but I want to do things that I do well. I want to do things that I excel at, you know, but I've learned a lot in the last year. I've taken up golf. And I've oh, learned that, you know what, well, maybe, <laughs> <laughs> but, but you have good days, you have bad days, you have humbling days and it's just, and to be able to just take that attitude and say, you know what, it is what it is. That has really helped me It in many ways outside golf. Right. Right. That was my experience when I ran my first marathon. I couldn't believe I'd run a marathon. Like I said, I was not an athletic child. I was chubby. I was not into fitness. And uh, never in a million years. And then when I did it, I thought I could do anything. This was absolutely amazing. And then I did it again, and I did it again. And then, you know, I, I went on to run 20 marathons and 110 half marathons. And the other thing, Lee, I was very honest with myself about when it was time to stop because I developed arthritis in my hip and it was only in one hip. But what would happen is is when I continued to keep up that pace, I was in a lot of pain afterwards. And I said, you know, this is really starting to become not fun. And, you know, maybe I'm hurting myself. And it actually took a couple of years to get diagnosed because I'm so fit that the doctors were like, no, you probably just have a little pain in your hip or a little bursitis or you're sore. And then when they finally did the test, I had um, moderate to severe uh, joint disease in my hip. And so I completely transformed. I did go into a little bit of a funk. You know, I had a couple of months where I was like, oh, no, I can't run anymore. And that's how I got into tower climbing. So I walk instead of run. I weight train and I tower climb. And that actually keeps me motivated to keep taking care of myself. But what I want to mention in that is that no matter what happened to you along the way, that maybe you were shamed about weight, or maybe you were told as a girl that you shouldn't take up that type of sport, or maybe boys were told you're too short to play basketball, or you're too small to play football, or you don't have the body type for uh, whatever it is that you were pursuing, or you're not smart enough to be a doctor, or, you know, any of those things we hear, or it's so hard to go into such and such a business. I wouldn't do it if I were you. Everyone I know that did that business lost money. Well, you know, I think you should still try it. And I want to mention that whatever shame or anguish you're feeling about what you were told in your past or what you believed about yourself, um, it still makes you a whole complete person today. You know, today is today. Is today. today is the first day of the rest of your life, as we used to say in the 70s. So whatever obstacles you had in the past, if they're no longer here, you can just move forward. And I think, you know, coming out of the pandemic, people are looking for that. They're mm-hmm. they're looking for new opportunities. A lot of people decided, you know what, I never really liked what I was doing anyway. Why am I doing it? And right. a lot of people, you know, you can call it the great resignation, whatever you want to call it. But people are just looking to, to be authentic and to find right. what, what really resonates within their heart for them. And I think that there's some goodness from that. Right. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. And I think that what um, what I hear a lot about is, you know, when think people are coming to me with things, they say, have an open mind. You know, what what is it that um, what are the obstacles that keep you from pursuing the things that you love? Uh, besides the preconceived notions that we have, there's a lot of fears about it. The fear of failure is very pervasive. Absolutely. And I, you know, and I say to people, yeah, okay, so you might fail, but, you know, it's just like, you, you know, the analogy is, Lee, you know, when somebody falls down and they're so embarrassed, right? You fall down and you trip on the sidewalk and people come over and say, are you okay? And you're like, oh, that was so stupid. I was just, I was so stupid. I wasn't looking where I was going. Or sometimes, it's, you know, you have no control over it. There was something on the sidewalk that you didn't see and you fell. Um, and so the first place we go is that we did something wrong, right? When things don't work out or when you fall down, nothing could be further from the truth. Maybe it was something was thrown in front of you that you couldn't handle or manage or you didn't see coming. So when you start taking that attitude of that, not everything's going to work out perfectly. And there are times when we get a wrench thrown in our plans. Um, and if you could just roll with it and say, okay, you know, next time around we'll be better. Um, it's a wonderful feeling to let go of something that hasn't worked for you or even stop and ask yourself well, what did I learn from that experience right right because right. you know my my philosophy is if you learned something it was well worth the time right right and all these life lessons I think they're right in front of us every single day and oh you know, even from from you know relationship issues to work life to home life to health habits. You know, every, you're absolutely right. Every single day we have an opportunity to learn from something we're faced with. We do indeed. So, you know, you've just written a book this year and you've written other books, I know, but you took a few years off and you have a new book out. Tell us about it. It's called Eat Well, Live Well, Age Well. It took me 18 years to write it because I was spending so much time. I took some time off to, you know, my daughter was little to spend time with her and be involved in her school and all the things that she needed. And um, I was looking around me and I was watching how um, people were starting to say things like, well, you're 40 now, um, so you can't do da 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 da. You know, you're a mother and you shouldn't be running around running marathons in spandex. And I thought, that's a real antiquated approach. There's women all over that run. And, you know, people saying, well, I don't know how you're ever going to work again. You have a small child. Well, you know, I'll figure that out also. And I was doing all these extraordinary things. And then at some point I thought, you know, I'm aging too. I have to pay attention. Should I, should I be doing the things that I'm doing? And I went on a you know, uh, a, a mission to find out what is it that affects us as we age. So I already did have the background in uh, fitness and nutrition, but I started to see what other aspects of our lives affect us as we age that might be an obstacle or that might be an asset to us as we go along. And I just started studying um, research papers, uh, listening to people who were experts on aging. And the one thing that kept coming up, Lee, which I found very uh, kind of upsetting, for lack of a better word, is the anti-aging and that everybody was really like, well, in order not to age, you have to do A, B, and C. There's no such thing as anti-aging. I'm pro-aging. Anti-aging, you can't stop aging. You're aging every single minute. But what can we do to enhance that? So I always say I'm very, very big on, you know, you want to improve your appearance. You do what you need to. You want to improve your health. They're all aspects of it. You just want to stay where you are, that's your prerogative. But there is so much to just embracing the aging process. Don't be afraid of the changes that our body goes through. They're very normal uh, for uh, men and women. We reach a certain age where our hair color changes and uh, we start to get a little wrinkly and saggy. And in some cases, some people that, you know, they get, they get ailments a little younger. Um, but know that it's all normal and it's it's just part of the process. It's it's part of the life cycle and don't be afraid of it. And if there's something you're concerned about, you know, get to the doctor and find out what it is. So I wrote this book as a manual, if you will, as a guide to looking at all the different aspects of how and why we age and what we can do about it. And I'm very big on facing your end-of-life care head-on. 
find it, you know, deciding what it is you need. Remember, you can always change it as you go. But, you know, say it loud, say it proud, put it on paper and say, this is what I want for my life. It's not selfish. It's not needy. It's not demeaning. It's what you want for your life and your wishes should be respected. So, you know, that's something that was very important to me in the process of writing this is just let's be real. Let's be realistic about where we're at, what we want, what we don't want. And um, there's a little bit of everything in the books that that leads to that. So I always say all all roads lead to movement and to letting everybody else know what it is you want. Well, and just sharing with everybody else what you want, that can be a right. very rewarding experience to really Absolutely. talk about. This is what I want. Oh, my gosh, I've always wanted to do that. I thought you would never have any interest in that. So right. Right. there's beauty and there's beauty and all. And, and, you know, longevity, that is just changed so tremendously. Absolutely. I honestly think that we can live to be, uh, it's, you know, the fastest growing age group is the centurions, 100 and above. Yep. Mm-hmm. And there's, um, the, there's if your audience, too, if you haven't shared this yet, there's um, a movement called the Blue Zones. And it was developed by Dan Butner. He was a journalist with um, National Geographic. And they were started to discover that there was a few key places in the world where people lived, and especially men, were living to be 100. And he went embarked on a journey to find out, you know, what it is that these people are doing differently than the rest of the world. And what he came across was five key things. And one of them, of course, was eating well and eating a plant-based diet, eating slowly, eating around other people you know, making food a positive event in your life. The second is movement. And, you know, again, all roads lead to movement when it comes to aging. People are doing their own gardening, growing their own food. They live in towns near their, you know, near their families where they walk. So they walk to see the neighbor. They walk to work. They take care of their own homes, you know, up until a very, very ripe old age. You know, the third is family. Is being surrounded, uh, you know, by people you love, uh, people who are looking out for you. I always, one of my key terms, Lee, is your peers are your best advisors, right? To be around people your own age and uh, like-minded, I mean, in a healthy way, not, you know, in a, in, a, in a confined, closed way. And that, you know, you have people to rely on. And uh, in Japan, in Okinawa, which is one of the blue zones where men and women both live to be a very old age, uh, they have a concept where they, I don't know if the family actually picks it for you, but, you know, five friends get together when they're very little from the time they're small children and they stick together like a pod for the rest of their lives. And so they know they have lifelong friends that know them inside and out that they can rely on and be with forever. Um, another, uh, the next aspect that I found was so interesting is spiritual. And that people who have faith, whatever that faith might be, that there's something higher than themselves, that there's a bigger force out there keeping the world together, tend to live longer. So there's a, you know, this real sense of, uh, which all ties in together. You spend the holidays together. You eat together as a family. You move together as a family. You pray together as a family. You grieve together as a family and rely on each other. And um, then you're not lonely, right? And you're never hungry and you're never feeling like deprived or you don't have enough because there's always someone or something there for you that's looking out for you. And, you know, and I was just knowing that you're not in it by yourself. Exactly. And, you know, lastly, these people have a very, very profound sense of gratitude and giving back. You know, everything is about, it isn't all about me. It's that they're looking out for people around them. And they respect elders as well as small children and what everybody's doing. So, you know, the multimillionaire standing right next to the, the clam dinner, and they're, they're perfectly happy and they're family friends and um, everybody works together as a community. So it's that community-based um, environment on every level. And, you know, I wish we'd go back to that. It's, you know, something we had a little more of as children. You know, we knew our grandparents and 
In a lot of cases, a lot of our families, the grandparents lived in the house with you or next door in the same apartment building. And all that's changed with the industrialized world and the world economy as people travel all over, move away from their families, and then don't see them in some cases for years on end. And that seems to be detrimental to one's health while aging. Oh, absolutely. And I see us going back to a sense of community, you know, mm-hmm. I, and I and I think during the pandemic, when we many of us lost our sense of community, churches, religious um, houses were, were shut down for weeks mm-hmm. and for months and gyms were shut down and schools were shut down. And right. that is your community. And now right. that that we've lost it, it's, you know, I think that we've all recognized, oh, my gosh, how much I valued that. Oh, my right. gosh. You know, just going to the gym. I don't have to talk to those people, but I see the same people, you know, and you nod heads with them. And that's a level of connection. So I think that we're all ha- having lost it to such a substantial degree we're all more appreciative and i know i am i am willing to go out of my way to create a sense of community i am too i think about that a lot and i you know think about you know with holidays and who am i going to invite and i want to make sure that anybody that doesn't have somewhere to go can come here and you know feel like they're part of a family and part of a community and, you know Lee, i want to mention um i know we have a few more minutes but i did i did want to bring up Something that's very, very profound in our society is our, our fears surrounding death and our not wanting to talk about it and not wanting to be around older people as if aging is contagious. <laughs> and, you know, when people say, well, I don't want to be around old people, you know, when I recommend for uh, so many people to go into um, 55 and over living, it doesn't have to be assisted living. You can have your own apartment. But I highly encourage that kind of living if you're alone, because then you can find people to rely on. You have built-in medical services. You have uh, things to do, activities galore, right? And you can just step out and find somebody to to communicate with. And then if you want to be alone, you can go back to your home and, and be by yourself. So I think it provides the best of all worlds. But there is a still a pervasive um, uh, uh, avoidance of talking about death and talking about end of life, that um, people just equate planning for it with preparing for it, right? So when you're planned for it, then it's the stress is gone. Your your plans are in order. You know what's going to happen. And if something happens to you unexpectedly, it's a huge burden on your family and friends. And um, worse yet is that a lot of people don't, still to this day, I'm stunned when I hear this, you know, very sophisticated people don't realize the state will take all of your things from you. So it's very important for you to put, again, you know, put down on paper and don't be afraid of the process. Don't be afraid of the aging process. Don't be afraid of the dying process. It's not necessarily going to happen to you tomorrow, but educate yourself about it. Learn about what you need to do before you get there um, for your family's sake and for people around you. You know, I think that's one of the most selfless things you can do is to put everything in, in order uh, before the time comes. And uh, this, you know, that we've also reached a point in our society, which is very painful, is that we don't respect elders on any level, what they have to say, what they look like, what they're interested in. And that's gotten progressively worse, that even though the media seems to be opening up more to showcasing actresses in entertainment and in the news and in uh, all aspects of, you know, worldwide media, that older people are included, there's still a stigma surrounding that. And I'd much rather listen to somebody older tell me the news than someone younger because I feel like their experience is going to speak volumes and what it is I need to learn from them. Well, I'm so glad you brought that up and because we are almost out of time. We've got about four minutes. But I think it's important because everybody needs a sense of purpose. And right. if if you feel like that you've become disconnected from your purpose because you don't have anybody your own age to communicate right. with or hang out with, you feel like you don't fit in, you feel like that you don't really know what's going on, those are things that are so changeable and and. Assisted living has, it's amazing how that industry has changed. So in the last three minutes that we have left, let's just do a quick recap for people. Um, What do you want the three takeaways to be for those that listen to this show? 
Oh, good question, because, you know, they're ever evolving. right? <laughs> but the first thing I want, to, the number one thing I want you to take away with is that each and every one of you is a whole person with so much to offer. And there's room for whatever you want to do in this world. There's a place for you. So that's the first thing is that don't be discouraged. Go out, you know, pursue interest, whatever your lifelong dream is. See, even, even if it has to be abbreviated, get out and do it. Um, the second thing that I want to mention in terms of your health and fitness is, again, baby steps. Get out there. Just do something good for yourself each day. It could be one thing, one little bite of something healthy, walk a little further than you normally do, maybe look into a sport or a fitness activity or a class that you haven't thought about before and uh, pursue that. And then lastly, I want you to really, really think about how you can stimulate your brain and what is it you want to learn? What could you do? What could you do right now? Learn something new. If it's a language or learning about another country or another culture or reading a book about physics or going back to your childhood and rereading books that you haven't read in years but really spoke to you and keep that spark going that whatever lit you up when you were younger, you can bring it back now and have it again when you're older. Well, I think those are excellent points to leave our listeners with because we we can do whatever we set our mind to do. And Absolutely. Just knowing that, you know, I, I need to be thinking about that. And I hope that's one message that everybody has heard said today is that think about it, dream about it, you know, chase those dreams because those dreams can't chase you. So, right. And it's, and it's never, ever too late to be the best that you can be. Real quickly, Absolutely. for those that are interested in buying the book, Eat Well, Live Well, Age Well, where can they find that? Um, so the best place to go is um, to Amazon, of course, but more information about me and the work, you can go to www.eatwelllivewellagewell.com. Patricia, thank you so much for being with us today and so much thank information you, that My you've pleasure. Shared. So lovely to talk to you and I hope to do it again soon. Thank you so much. Thank you. Richardson and the Brain Performance Center, we want to thank you for listening. If you'd like to hear more episodes like this, visit us on iTunes, Google Play, Toginet, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and thebrainperformancecenter.com.